0: Hello, Lyme Ninjas. This is Lyme Ninja Radio where we help you learn to navigate confidently through your own personal Lyme journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie cutter approach just doesn't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 101 with health expert and longtime podcaster, Jimmy Moore. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Line Ninja Radio, Aurora.
1: Hi, and I'm so excited to be in the triple digits with these with our episodes, finally.
0: Yes, it is exciting.
1: It is. And in this episode dear audience, you will learn three things. Number one, the impact of glucose on the body, the impact a ketogenic diet can have on your health, and the right tools you need to start a ketogenic diet.
0: Yes, this is a fabulous, fabulous episode. Jimmy Moore is such an expert on diet. He has interviewed everybody who is anybody in this field and just a wealth of knowledge.
1: Mm -hmm. And that actually... While we're on that subject, I have a question for you. Um, you have been very enthusiastic about ketogenic diet, and I just want to know why you're pursuing this and why we get to listen to these episodes. Why we get to listen to Jimmy Moore? This, this yeah, episode.
0: I, I booked an interview with Jimmy Moore to talk about ketogenic diet and ketosis, uh, not ketoacidosis, where your body's breaking down proteins and you're really suffering, but burning fat, and one of the byproducts of burning fat are ketones, beta-hydroxybutyrate to be exact. And it turns out that the heart, the brain, the muscles really love ketones. So when you're burning fat, you get this extra level of uh, nutrition or fuel, so to speak, and there's these ketones. And so many people with Lyme have brain fog and, and neurological symptoms that Ketones can really help nourish the brain when the glucose metabolic pathways are impaired. So, that's, I think, ketogenic diets might be a real boon for some people with Lyme disease. And, like we heard last week with Heather Peretta, she's using a ketogenic diet and really made a big impact with how she feels. Mm hmm. All right, Aurora, did I answer your question?
1: (laughs) That did answer my question. Yes. I gave you you a long
0: answer and you just went, mm hmm, did I put you to sleep?
1: No, no, (laughs) I was just, I'm remembering uh, some of our, some of our, Listeners responding on Facebook saying, "You know, I've tried ketogenic and it doesn't quite. It it hasn't quite worked for me. So I was interested to see what your what your take on what your take on things were and why you still wanted to pursue that. So it's well, it's good to know where you're coming from.
0: Yes, and that's why this interview with. Jimmy is so important and we have some follow-up interviews with uh, one of his podcast partners, Dr. Adam Nally, who has been prescribing ketogenic diets in his uh, family health practice for years. And it turns out that simply lowering your carbs and eating a little more fat isn't necessarily a ketogenic diet. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's really about the ins and outs of a ketogenic diet and what is truly ketogenic and what is just a low-carb diet. And there is a difference. It's a big difference. So that's that's what we're going to get into. But before we get into that, I want to make sure everybody has downloaded our Brain Fog Breathing Cheat Sheet. And if you haven't yet... Just go on over to LimeNinjaradio.com front slash brain fog and sign up. So again, that's LimeNinjaradio.com front slash brain fog and just fill out the little form there and you will get it. Okay, Aurora. Tell us a little bit more about Jimmy Moore.
1: All right. And Jimmy Moore is a blogger and author who is best known for his Live in La Vida low carb blog and podcast, and more recently for his books on nutrition. He's appeared on television and radio programs promoting a high fat, moderate pro- low-carb diet plan. His popular weekly podcast, Live in La Vida Low Carb, has run over 1,100 episodes featuring interviews with experts in diet, health, and fitness. Jimmy also runs two other weekly podcasts, Low Carb Conversations and Keto Talk. He currently resides in Spartanburg, South Carolina.
0: Thank you, Aurora. Thank you, Wikipedia. And here is our interview with Jimmy Moore. Jimmy, welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. Hey, what's up, man? It is such a pleasure to talk with you. I don't know if my listeners are as familiar with you as I am, but you've got books out there. You've got web pages out there. You've got thousands of podcast episodes. Why don't you just give people a brief elevator intro to what you've got and what you've been doing?
2: Yeah, you've been following my work since the very beginning, so uh, you know kind of the the evolution over the years, how this has gone about. So, yeah, back in 2004, I weighed 410 pounds, uh, was really in bad shape in my weight and health, and I was so desperately wanting something that would work, and everything that I had ever tried before then was always predicated on what we thought was the prudent way to get healthy, and that was a low fat, healthy whole grains exercise till you drop type of routine. And unfortunately, I had been successful at losing weight doing those things, but I had never been successful at getting healthy doing those things. And, and yet I always went back to it. Why, why do we do that to ourselves when we know something isn't working and yet we keep trying it partly because the culture tells us that's what you got to do. So. It was in the fall of 2003 when I had a few events happening in my life. I I got into my car and started ripping pants, and those big and tall pants are not cheap, so that wasn't fun. Um, And then uh, I was a substitute teacher at the time, and this little kid was uh, calling me fat in front of the class, and I'm going, okay, there's something going on here. (laughs) That it kind of woke me up a little bit, that I really needed to do something different. Well, it just was so... Fortuitous that my mother in law bought me a diet book for Christmas that year. Yes, mother in laws do that to their son in laws that are big, <laughs> and buy them uh, buy them diet books. So I got Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution uh, for Christmas that year. She had actually read it. I just found out this story like last year uh, that she had read it. She thought it was a really cool uh, uh, idea. She and her husband, uh, my now father in law, tried it and and loved it. And so they're like, we think Jimmy might like this too. So I read that book between Christmas and New Year's and thought this guy is whacked out of his mind. How do you eat more fat and not gain weight and not get heart disease? This guy's a cardiologist telling people to do this. Uh, how do you cut your carbs and have any energy? I just didn't understand any of it. And yet I kept reading. I kept studying. I kept learning. And I realized, you know, this is something I've never done before. I've seen success losing weight, but it's never stayed off because I was always hungry. And this diet seems to be an anti-hunger type of diet that lets you eat foods that, quite frankly, are off of the diet menu for most people. And so I was like, okay, well, let's give this a whirl. January 1st, 2004, went on the Atkins diet. And yes, I did it by the book, not just bacon, egg, and cheese all day. And uh, within the first month, uh, I was able to lose 30 pounds. Uh, month number two, I lost another 40 pounds at the end of a hundred days, a hundred pounds had gone. And it was at that point that I realized, you know, there's something to this, (laughs) but the thing that was biggest for me was it, um, it was so easy. I was not hungry. I was not really having major cravings. People say, well, I can never give up bread and sugar. You go without it for a period of time and you kind of make that transition over, you don't miss those things. You really don't. And that's kind of a, a misconception a lot of people have about a low-carb or a ketogenic diet is they think, well, I could never live without, and you fill in the blank what the X is. And so I found that's just not true. So uh, so anyway, at the end of that year, I was able to lose 180 total pounds uh, off my body, and I got contacted by the Atkins uh, company, and they were like, hey, we heard you lost a little bit of weight on our diet. I'm like, yeah, just a little. And so they featured my story on the front of their website and I started getting all these emails from people around the world. How'd you do it? How'd you do it? How'd you do it? I'm like, will you people leave me alone? So I started a blog in April of 2005 called Livin' La Vida Low Carb and self-published a couple of books over the next few years. Uh, a year after the blog came out, this guy contacted me and said, if you talk half as good as you write, you need to be a podcaster. Now, this was 2006. Rob Wolf's podcast wasn't even out then. Sean Croxton wasn't podcast. None of the like people that you now know have been around for a while were podcasting. Dave Asprey wasn't around Um And so I was like, okay, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) But okay, sure. So he actually said, well, let's do like a a compilation podcast. He called it the Health Hacks Podcast. It was a group of people that would all do like a five-minute segment. So he said, just do a rant for like five minutes. I said, well, I can (laughs) rant. I think my very first one was why HFCS is the devil. And that was my rant. Anyway, about a month into doing that show, The producer comes back and says, Dude, nobody is paying attention to any part of the show but you. You need your own show. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I have no, I had a little bit of broadcasting background. I did Christian radio back in the 90s. That was Amy Grant. Now here's Michael W. Smith. That was it. That's all I did. You know, it wasn't anything like what I do now interviewing people. And so I was like, Okay, sure. So we started the Live in La Vida low carb show in October. 2006, it's hard to believe it's almost been 10 years I've been doing that show, and it's probably what I'm most famous for now uh, is that show, and it's the longest-running health podcast on the internet today. And I've been uh dumb enough to start three other podcasts, two of them which are still alive today. Ask the Low-Carb Experts is the defunct one, but Low-Carb Conversations and Keto Talk are my other two podcasts. And then 2012 rolled around and this uh publisher said, hey, you want to write some books for us? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so they uh, they said, hey, what do you want to write about? So I was like, ketosis. That was the first thing out of my mouth. I want to talk about ketogenic diets. Oh, that's too niche of a subject. Nobody will care about that um,
0: you're just ahead of your time.
2: (laughs) And they were like, Oh, we just don't think there's going to be a big market. What else you got? I'm like, really? I was right in the midst of like testing ketosis at the time on myself. I was like, guys, it's going to be big. They didn't believe me. So they said, uh, what else you got? And I said, well, I always want to talk about the cholesterol. Yes. Cholesterol do the cholesterol. So I wrote cholesterol clarity in 2013. It came out. And then after that one uh, came out, I said, can I please write the keto book now? (laughs) So then a year later, uh, I released Keto Clarity, and in one week, Keto Clarity sold more copies uh, or as many copies in one week as Cholesterol Clarity did. The whole first year, it was out, wow. and they quickly became big fans of ketogenic diets. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. And I've since uh, released a ketogenic cookbook, which became an international bestselling book with Maria Emmerich. Yep.
0: And that's one thing I really appreciate your work is that you're just not out there making stuff up. You're interviewing physicians, researchers, people who are using this clinically and really getting down the nitty-gritty and getting the science behind it. And that, to me, is incredible.
2: That's so critically important. I I think if it was just an opinion-filled book, it would be so hollow – uh, it would be like the Bible without Jesus in it, seriously. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, the Bible would be meaningless if it didn't have Jesus in it. And the same thing with it. and not that I'm trying to make an equation there, so please don't write to, <laughs> please don't write hate mail. But, uh, you know, it has to have that backing, the scientific backing in order for it to have the backbone of authority to mean something, and so yeah, in uh, Keto Clarity we had 24 experts, plus my c- uh, co-author was Dr. Eric Westman, who's one of the foremost researchers into ketogenic diets. So yeah, that that is absolutely a must.
0: Now, a lot of people say, you know, this low carb or ketogenic, and really th- th- there is a difference, which you explain in a second. But that's fine for losing weight, but it's going to kill you. What <laughs> what do you say to those critics?
2: I would ask, how am I dying? Uh, or aren't we all going to die someday of something? Just kidding. Um Yeah, I, I think a lot of those things, they just carry over from some of the propaganda that's been put out there. And unfortunately, everybody has their camps. I've never been a big fan of the camps, even though I'm solidly low-carb keto camp for me. I've always been very open, and you follow my work a long time. You know my mantra has been, find what works for you and follow that plan exactly, and then do it for the rest of your life. That's always been my philosophy. And if that means a vegan diet, do a vegan diet. Uh, If that means a paleo diet, do a paleo diet. If it means low carb ketogenic, do ketogenic. So yeah, I I think some of the the hyperbole that's been put out there about a low carb ketogenic diet is, is mostly based on the fat. Uh, that's in the diet. And so when you eat fat, the, the idea is that you're raising your LDL cholesterol and you're clogging your arteries and all this imagery that's just flat out wrong. There's never been any science that shows that eating saturated fat within the context of a low carbohydrate intake does anything but make your lipid profile better. As we talked about in uh, Cholesterol Clarity, your triglycerides, which is a key blood fat that you want lower in the body, it drops like a rock. When you cut the carbs and you eat more fat, the HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, actually goes up when you eat that fat and, and saturated fat better than any drug that you could ever take. Saturated fat will increase that HDL cholesterol better than anything. And then another thing they don't talk about is the LDL particle breakdown. Now, this is something that gets a little more advanced, but we, we explained it all in uh, cholesterol clarity, but when you uh, look at ldl most people think ldl is one number but it's really not it's actually a multiplicity of numbers but it's it's broken down into two major categories it's small uh, dense ldl particles known as pattern b and then large fluffy ldl which is known as pattern a when what you want is the pattern a pattern b are the bb sized uh LDL particles that can penetrate the arterial wall, lead to inflammation, and give you heart disease. That's what's truly bad. Well, guess what makes small, dense LDL particles? It's two things in your diet. It's carbohydrates and it's vegetable oils. So if you're eating the, the, obviously, grains, sugar, or starches, that's the carbohydrates we're talking about. Not vegetables, not non-starchy vegetables, green, leafy vegetables. Those are very healthy for you. It's the other things, the corn the uh, mashed potato, you know, all of these things that are going to raise blood sugar and end up making those small, dense LDL. So how do you get the large, fluffy kind of LDL? You have to eat less carbohydrates. That helps. But also replacing the vegetable oils with fat. And when I say fat, I mean mostly saturated and monounsaturated fats, which are almost just the opposite, except for the mono. They do say, uh, you know, consume monounsaturated fats, but saturated fat, they lump in with trans fats as bad. And those two things couldn't be further apart than they are. Trans fats truly are bad, but saturated fats within the context of a low-carb diet are your energy. If you're not eating saturated fats, you're not getting the fuel source. You're not getting the basic building blocks for your body to function the way it's supposed to function.
0: Now, in the Lyme world, there are a couple rock stars who actually cross over tim ferris is one and dave yes. asprey they both had lyme disease and they both talked about ketogenic diets and they both have their own versions of, of diets out there and yes. i know people try those diets and then complain that they don't work and do you have any insight as to why that is why do people fail trying to go ketogenic and they say oh this didn't work for me i feel terrible
2: The number one thing that I see as to why people fail on a ketogenic diet, well, it's several things, but the biggest thing is they assume that they're eating low-carb, and that makes them ketogenic, and the two are not the same. You alluded to this earlier. The big difference between what I did in 2004 doing the Atkins diet by the book and a ketogenic diet is this. The Atkins diet had it dead right on the carbohydrates. He said, start at 20 grams. I would say the same thing about a ketogenic diet. Start at 20 total grams of carbohydrate. Now, you know, I've changed my position on that over the years. I used to be a net carb guy, but I've realized that if you're going to be intellectually honest about what your carb tolerance level is, you have to count total carbohydrates. So both of those got those right. What were we going to say? Uh, that
0: includes fiber then.
2: Yeah, it you does include fiber. Well, and, and here's the thinking. If you're able to tolerate 30 grams of total carbohydrates that includes 15 grams of fiber, then your carbohydrate tolerance is 30 grams. Whereas if you had that 30 grams and 15 of it was fiber, you had 15 net carbs. So you're telling yourself that your carb tolerance level is 15 when actually it's 30. Okay. So that's why I say total is the only way to be intellectually honest about that because the fiber, while it does raise your blood sugar a lot slower it still raises blood sugar. And I've actually uh, spoken with quite a few people about this. Jackie Eberstein, who used to work with Dr. Atkins in his clinic. She's a registered nurse and worked with him for 30 years. She saw some of her patients come in eating just green leafy vegetables, and they had a blood sugar spike from that. Wow. So it can happen. It's not a gimme. It's not a freebie. I think a lot of people say, well, just eat all the vegetables you want. And, yes, vegetables are important but not to an unlimited degree. And I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble uh, is thinking, well, I'm I'm being low carb. I'm eating net, you know, net carbs are pretty low and thinking I should be ketogenic. That doesn't work that way. Um, and then the other thing that they do that's uh, probably sabotaging them is they're eating too much protein. And this was a big uh, eye-opener for so many people after they read my book, Keto Clarity. They didn't realize the negative impact of eating too much protein. So some people were eating chicken breast with broccoli and thinking that's a good low-carb meal. It is a great low-carb meal, but it is not a ketogenic meal because that protein does one thing in your body that you probably don't want it to do if you're trying to shift from being sugar burner to fat burner and be a fat and ketone burner. It actually produces sugar in the body. So there's this long G word we talk about in keto clarity. It's called gluconeogenesis and the gluconeogenesis will kick in when your body says, you know what? I've got enough protein for all the functions that, that my body needs for protein because protein is an essential macronutrient that you absolutely must have, but you don't need unlimited amounts. And the body is very efficient at storing away excess protein as sugar. So the excess protein that your body can't use goes to the liver, and the liver converts it into glucose. Well, if you're trying to be ketogenic, added glucose is very anti-ketogenic. So so that's why some people may not see the results that they want. Well, I'm eating ketogenic, and they're really not. They're, They're having too much protein. And then the last thing I would say is they're probably... Uh, not testing properly for ketosis. So people just assume, well, I'm not hungry, so I must be in ketosis. Not necessarily. I mean, if you're eating adequate amounts of fat, that will push down the hunger, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily in ketosis. So you've got to test, and there's three ways you can test, and I'll explain them quickly. Uh, in the urine is called acetoacetate, and you've everybody's heard of the keto stick. So you pee on the stick, it turns pink to purple to whatever. And that's pretty good probably for the first couple of weeks of getting adapted. But they're not good long term because for a lot of people, you lose those urine ketones because when the body becomes keto adapted and starts using the ketone bodies efficiently, it shifts over to the blood ketones so that acetoacetate becomes beta-hydroxybutyrate. There will be a test at the end. So take notes. Just kidding. Uh, So (laughs) beta-hydroxybutyrate is the key uh, ketone that is in the blood and so you can actually measure for that level of blood ketone. There's a um, monitor in America called Precision Extra where you can test, just like a glucometer tests your blood glucose, the uh, ketometer tests your blood key tones, and you want that number on the Precision Extra to be at least 0.5, ideally between 1 and 3 is, is kind of the sweet spot, um, and we can go down the rabbit hole of, of what all those numbers mean. But it's the only way to really uh, test that. Now, if you have international listeners uh, overseas, it's called Freestyle Neo, is that same monitor except uh, everywhere except the United States. So you can get that online. Uh, the only caveat is the strips are extremely expensive. Um, you can get them for $4, 4 or $5 a piece on Amazon. Or if you dig a little bit, if you do some Canadian pharmacies, they tend to have it for the cheapest price for a couple of bucks per. But it's not cheap, but it gives you such valuable information to let you know you're truly in ketosis. And then the last ketone that's in the body is the one that's in the breath. It's called acetone. And currently there's only one major company making a breath acetone measure um, and it's called ketonix, K-E-T-O-N-I-X. And you blow into it and it shows you your level of breath ketones. So breath ketones are good for people that just want to know, you know, I don't care what the specific number is. I just want to know, am I in or am I not in? And that will give you a yes, no answer. So that's the three ways you test. And I would suspect the people that didn't do well and said they didn't do well in ketosis that were trying to treat Lyme disease, I would suspect that they probably were not testing for ketones. Tones and weren't truly in ketosis.
0: And then going back to your statements about fat, can you just like do coconut oil? Say you don't like red meat, can you just do coconut oil that has some saturated fat, or do you need some of the other nutrients that are in in animal fats?
2: Yeah, definitely animal based. Foods are going to be more complete proteins, more complete fats. Uh, A lot of people say, well, red meat only has saturated fat. Actually, red meat has more monounsaturated fat than it does saturated fat. So I think getting a healthy mix of fats is good. Obviously, coconut oil has 90% saturated fat, so it's a good source of saturated fat, but I wouldn't let that be your sole source of fat. Mix the fats around. Get some avocado oil. Get some macadamia nut oil. Uh, get some lard. Get some tallow. Get some of the duck fat, some of these old uh, bacon grease, these old fats that we used to always use for flavor. And oh, yeah, by the way, they were actually extremely healthy as well. Grandma had it right. <laughs> she knew that when you cook things in in real fat, not this fake margarine stuff and the canola oil, please Google or, or go on YouTube and type in how canola oil is made. You will never consume that junk ever again. It's so gross the way they have to clean it up to make it humanly edible. But, yeah, I, I think – it's just one of those things that people have to just embrace that fat is okay. I think it's such a paradigm shift in people's minds that they can't get there until they get there. They have to just do it and and experience the benefits from it.
0: What would you be your recommendation for somebody starting out, say, they want to experiment and attempt a ketogenic diet? Like, how... How would you go about transitioning and what resources – obviously, your book is number one and your cookbook. How do you do that?
2: Yeah, I'd say it's another one of those things of you just have to dive right into it. I think some people, they're like, well, this seems kind of weird. Well, it's not really weird if you think about we're talking about eating real food. I, I know it 's magical to say, oh my gosh i 'm going to eat real food what what uh, but you don 't need a the, protein shake no you don 't need any of that john please i 'm going to make a, a huge controversial statement right now, please don 't buy the Atkins junk. that stuff is garbage. I know they featured my story twelve years ago on the website, but they are a horrible, horrible company. Do not buy Atkins products. Do not buy those things because they 're just loaded with junk, and I actually cornered the marketing manager at a conference. Uh, uh, she was on a panel recently, earlier this year. And I said, you know, why are you promoting these products that are anti-low-carb, anti-ketogenic? Well, our market is not the low-carb community. Our market is to try to reach those people that want more fiber and more protein in their diet. I'm like, well, then don't call it Atkins. <laughs> wow. That, that she, she admitted that on camera. I actually had my iPhone rolling. So anyway, stay away from Atkins products but that's a uh, that's inside what was the original question <laughs> now you got me fired up
0: fired up about Atkins give me more about how to transition and transition, how to begin right. you said jump in and but what are yeah. what are the resources cuz I, I, like you said people s- will make substitutions that they think are okay and yeah. we've been in such a fog for a long time i mean i was i Went to my local coffee shop and they have a locally made venison jerky,
2: right? Nice. And
0: rec- There's a caveat here though.
2: Uh-oh. Yeah,
0: exactly. And recently I'd cut my carbs even more. It's like I wasn't happy with what things were going and I had some brain fog earlier this year and it was – I'm insulin resistance. So I need to keep my carbs low and I had yes. gotten sloppy, right? So yesterday I get my decaf coffee and – my venison jerky, and I take a bite out of it, and I'm thinking to myself, this tastes really sweet. Yep. And I avoid the teriyaki flavors because I know they've got lots of sugar in it. So I got the pepper one. I look on the label, and it's got three grams of sugar in it. Ugh. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I can't say what I was thinking, but <laughs> there are hidden carbs and sugars everywhere. And this is locally made. This isn't some mass-produced somewhere. Yeah. This is a local guy.
2: Yeah, they put sugar in everything. And, and I think that's, that's the key. You're going to have to read labels voraciously. But I'd say if you're just starting off, don't buy foods that have labels. I think that's a good <laughs> way to start. You know, an egg. I, I've got chickens in my backyard now. We've, we've enjoyed having those this year. And I can go back there, grab some real eggs and know, Hey, God made that perfectly. It, it's got just the right amount of carbs, protein and fat to help me be ketogenic. So eggs are a great start. Um, bacon, of course, and all those fats that we talked about earlier are going to be perfectly fine for you when you first start. I think the key here is just get going, um, and know that you're going to have about a two to four week period where you're making that transition over from whatever your diet is. If you're already pretty low carb, and when I say low carb, I mean under 150 grams, uh, in your diet right now, you're going to convert over to ketogenic very quickly, I think it took me four days from going to low, from low carb to full on trying ketogenic four days to get in because I was already pretty low carb. The thing I needed to bring down was the protein. So knowing that carbs will stay pretty low, then attack protein next and, and the number of grams of protein that I consume or at least when I started, was 80 grams. I kind of started off there to kind of see how I would do. Actually, I started higher, but I ended up at 80. I think I started at 120 thinking, again, I would need that much, and it turned out I did not need that much. So obviously, if you bodybuild or you do intensive exercise, maybe you'll need a little more than that. But just tinker and test with it. So 80 grams of protein isn't a lot of food. It's a couple of eggs and maybe a five-ounce serving of meat that's it for the whole day. Um and then vegetables, uh the non-starchy vegetables cooked in butter, uh loaded with fat and then getting adequate amounts of fat. So what we say in keto clarity is uh, uh an acronym for keto. K is keep carbs low, E is eat more fat, T is test ketones often, which we talked about a moment ago, and then O is overdoing protein is bad. So if you do those things and you kind of do that formula, dive right in, realize it's going to take you two to four weeks, realize you might have some pain in the first few days of an electrolyte balance, and and we talk about how you can ward that off. Salt, magnesium, potassium, and water are the keys there, making sure that you're getting plenty of all of those things as you're making this transition. And the cool thing is you'll switch over from being a sugar and carbohydrate burner for the most part over to a fat and ketone burner, and once you're in that sweet spot of fat and ketone burner and you're fully in nutritional ketosis, the floodgates open up. I mean, your mental health gets so much better. Uh, A lot of your disease processes, they they kind of get turned off uh, because ketosis, ketones, are the preferred fuel for the body, especially for the brain, um, and I, I've thankfully never had Lyme disease, so I'm not sure how it impacts your body, but I'm assuming it impacts all sorts of things in the body, including the brain. And so you definitely want to switch over to a fuel source that's going to be a cleaner fuel, uh, the diesel fuel, so to speak, to, to help you run for a long time.
0: Exactly. And one more thing that you talk about, this, the sweet spot there, and you, you hinted a little bit about that. How So there's starting to produce ketones in the body and then your body switching over, like you said, to use the diesel and using the ketones efficiently. Yes. And can this process vary? I mean, I've heard stories about people being able to go real quickly. Then you hear yes. athletes say, well, I didn't really hit my stride in, except for a few months into going
2: ketogenic. Well, you're talking about two, pa- two different uh, patient populations there. So a generalized person just going ketogenic It could take a few days. It could take up to that two to four weeks. But most people within two to four weeks, maybe six weeks for some that are especially insulin resistant and not really fully getting to their sweet spot, it could take that long for just the average job. For an athlete, I agree it could take several months, especially if they've been used to running at a certain – and I'm assuming we're talking about runners, not like power lifters – You know, I think the endurance athletes, they can see a drop-off temporarily in their performance, uh, but then it comes back over time. Uh, Dr. Stephen Finney actually did the first test of its kind uh, looking at this very thing with cyclists in the 80s, and it was only going to be a two-week study. They were going to put them on a low-carbohydrate diet, and basically at the end of two weeks they showed that they had a significant decline in their performance. And so they were going to end the study – But thankfully, uh, Steve Finney, who's a very famous researcher, uh, not then, he is now. uh, (laughs) But because of this study, uh, he's like, you know, let's go one more week. Let's see what happens in that third week. And what happened was they made that switch. They had not made the switch after the two weeks from sugar burner to fat burner. But by the third week, they went ahead and pushed it to the third week. They found that they actually went back to baseline when they were a sugar burner. So now they had switched fuels from sugar to fat. So, yeah, it might take a little more time for the athletes, uh, but they're a different beast than those of us who aren't athletes.
0: And, and this brings up another good point. You're two weeks into this, you're a week into it, and maybe you're feeling a little bit bad because your body's gone through some carb withdrawal, and there actually yep. are carb withdrawals, right? And so yes. you cheat a little bit.
2: Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Because when you cheat and there's actually a study, it's unpublished right now, but it's coming soon. There's a study they actually looked at people who did that and they actually had people in their 20s. I think they got some college students that are relatively healthy and they had them on a ketogenic diet and then they let them cheat for one meal, just one meal. Uh, and they wanted to see how quick it would be to get back into ketosis. You want to take a guess how quickly they got back in? Uh Five days. It took them two weeks to get back into ketosis again after just that one cheat meal. But guess what? They also did it on uh, middle-aged women who were highly insulin resistant. Want to guess how long it took them to get back into ketosis? We're
0: going long. Let's go. (laughs) Let's
2: go a month. A month and a half. No way. That explains so much. Yes. So that's that's the point, and and we talk about this on my show with Dr. Adam Nally, Keto Talk, quite often is if you're going to do ketosis, you got to know who you are. Are you one of those people that's highly, highly insulin resistant? Okay, great. Uh, you now know that if you cheat, it's going to take you probably upwards of two months to get back into that fully keto-adapted state. So was that birthday cake and that dalliance that you had of a high-carb meal really worth it in that context?
0: So if you're doing this for your health, and really to bring down the inflammation and to get your body in top shape to be able to fight off an infection like Lyme infection or into the co-infections all this other stuff that's going on. Yeah. And you vary maybe a little bit there. There's no that's not ketosis then. You're not on a ketogenic diet. You're in this other realm where you're attempting to get there but you never get there.
2: Well, and for a therapeutic purpose like treating Lyme disease, I think you've got to treat it like you would any treatment for, say, cancer, for example. Now, obviously Lyme disease is not as bad as cancer, but I think you've got well, to be. There's some see,
0: people might argue with it. I was going to say, maybe, maybe it is.
2: Again, <laughs> I, I have no experience with it at all other than hearing people like yourself that, that have had to deal with it. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you've just got to treat it that seriously. And you wouldn't see a cancer patient going too far off the beaten path of what they're, told to do, and I would think the same thing about this, that if if a ketogenic diet is helping you control the Lyme disease, why would you go off of it? And I would even dare say you'd probably do it more uh, intensely than probably the average person just doing it for health and weight purposes, so I would be very serious about it. And I would even look at things like adding in a little bit more MCT oil, which is very easily converted into ketones, maybe even adding in some of these exogenous ketone products, the things like the Keto OS that are out there to help you boost your ketones as well. Anything that you can do uh, to kind of get those ketones up there to help you, because it seems like the higher the ketones for someone with a disease like this, the better off you're going to be.
0: Brilliant. I think in our discussion here, you've really illuminated the pitfalls that people get into. They think they're doing keto, but a little, like you said, a one little birthday cake could set you back anywhere from two weeks to six weeks. That's incredible. Yeah. And if you're not testing for your ketones, you, you don't know. You That's think you might be PE. in it, right?
2: You're so blind if you don't. Yeah.
0: You have to test. You have to test. So, Jimmy, thank you so much are we done already? Sharing your wisdom. Wow, that
2: flew by quick.
0: That's thirty-six <laughs> minutes and seventeen seconds.
2: Hey, he's he's got it down to a science. I don't pay attention to the clock that closely on my show.
0: So. Well, I wanna be I wanna respect your time because I know you have got about forty balls in the air. I only have twenty and that's enough.
2: <laughs> At least forty, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: I have heard Jimmy Moore's content off and on throughout the years, just eavesdropping in on some of your listening sessions with his podcast.
0: I've tortured you with my (laughs) podcast.
1: I know. And it is very cool for me to have his attention directed at our podcast, actually. I've got a little bit of a fangirl moment over here. It's like, ah, he's-, <laughs> he's talking about Lyme disease and he's talking about, you know, health and diet rather than just having to, rather than just me listening in and having to interpret what he's saying uh, based on his usual message, which is a very effective, you know, diet plan. A yeah. weight loss plan, I should say.
0: It's funny. It's... How he got started was figuring how to lose weight, but really, he's morphed into a health expert, and really, it's, it's all about being healthy, and he's just not pushing fat loss on people. He's really helping people try to be healthy first, and then once you're healthy, the the fat can come off, often does, and really, that's why I wanted to bring him on to Lime Ninja Radio was that his focus on health and figuring out for himself and speaking to all the experts that he has, and he's been doing this for so long. I forget how long. It's 10, 15 years, something like that. He just has a wealth of knowledge and experience doing this, and he's done all kinds of experiments on himself. He Really, in some ways, he's... So many people with Lyme disease have to try so many different things. And he's been the same way with his health journey himself. So he's done all kinds of experiments, eating different ways, intermittent fasting, you know, testing his blood sugar, testing his blood ketones, testing other parameters. So he's a very curious person. He's also... One of the things I love about Jimmy Moore and I try to emulate on my show is he's had some people on his show who completely disagree with his message of reducing carbohydrates and he's invariably polite. He will ask some tough questions, but he doesn't argue with his guest and he doesn't try to show the guest up at all. Uh, it's, it's really was inspirational for me. So I try to do that here, even when I'm not agreeing with the guests necessarily, let them have their say. After all, they are on the radio show. I invited them here. So that's important, I believe.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. If you like Lime Ninja Radio and the way I treat my guests, go ahead and click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We love to hear from you, and we'll read the reviews on the show.
1: Yes, we do. And here is a review from Mishara. I've had Lyme disease and co-infection since 2005, and like many of us with this dreadful disease, have had to advocate and research endless hours to educate myself about its complexities and evolving treatments." I truly appreciate what McKay and Aurora have done and continue to do for the Lyme community and have benefited greatly from the wealth of info they've provided. And I love the Nerdy Ninja character and hearing the intro music to the show.
2: Yay!
0: (laughs) Thank you, Aurora, and thank you, Mishara. You know, here's a funny note. I was in my office the other day waiting for a patient And a local man stopped in. He saw my sign outside and said, oh, your podcast is so wonderful. You're doing such great things. So it's nice to hear some positive feedback right now. That's our only remuneration. We're contemplating putting a tip jar or a donation button somewhere on our website. But right now, we do this to bring you the information that you need about Lyme disease. And so we can educate ourselves and all of you at the same time. And lastly, amen to that amen to that amen <laughs> yes, lastly amen. as you longtime lime ninjas know this podcast cannot end it will not be complete we will not stop talking until we leave you with the lime ninja fact of the day
1: did you know a ninja once trained a horse to stretch its neck out really far its descendants are now called giraffes <laughs> Thank you.